We're going to talk about true and better today. I'm Jim Del Campo. I'm the lead pastor here. And uh, if you're a guest with us today, we're so happy you're with us. Somebody invited you. Hopefully, this will mean something to you today. But this idea of true and better, we're going to look at the resurrection of Jesus Christ because obviously this is Resurrection Sunday. And uh, the resurrection, probably the most debated event in the history of mankind, did it happen or not? One New Testament writer by the name of Paul, he writes that if the resurrection did not happen, then we who are Christians, followers of Christ, that we are most of all people to be pitied. Because, and then he adds, that we might as well eat, drink, for tomorrow we die. That our message that we preach is just in vain. It's worthless if Jesus didn't rise from the dead. Let me tell you from my perspective and the way I live, and I look at it this way, that uh, even if somebody says there was no, the, you can't prove the exodus from Egypt, which you can, I would still believe. Even if somebody says that you know Noah's flood never happened, there was no worldwide flood, which you can prove it. My faith isn't built on those things. It's built on one event and one event only, and that is the man, Jesus Christ, who predicted his own death and resurrection, and it happened. I build my faith on that and that alone, my friends. So, so with that said, I know when I say that I'm preaching to the choir because some of you here do not believe in Jesus. Some of you are pretty skeptical about a man. Come on, somebody rising from the dead. So I want to talk about that today, hopefully in a logical, historical perspective. And I'm going to look at it from two questions. Number one, is it true? Is the resurrection true? And secondly, if it is true, is it better? Is Jesus better? Or do all roads lead to God? Don't they all say the same thing? Come on. Come on, preacher. Aren't they fundamentally the same and superficially different? Well, we're going to look at that today also in the second part of the message. But before I begin, I want to let you know something that is absolutely true right now. That Christian New Testament scholars and atheist and skeptic New Testament scholars, and there are such things as that, they all agree now that Jesus really did live, he did exist, that he really was killed and crucified, that they really did bury him, and that the tomb was empty. It's just that the Christians and the atheist and skeptic scholars disagree on why and how the tomb was empty. As a Christian, we believe he rose from the dead. The New Testament skeptic and atheist scholars, they say impossible, didn't happen. And they look at it from a different perspective. So we're going to look at these things today. And it's the time we have allotted for us. But let me just tell you that some of you in this room, if there's been a um, well-meaning Christian who has been trying to convince you to follow Christ with maybe a finalized statement like, Come on, you just got to have faith. Now, they're well-meaning in that, but let me tell you something about that statement and about the early disciples. You see, the early disciples, they, when Jesus died, they did not believe he was coming back from the dead. None of them did. They went into hiding. They were terrified. They thought it was over. Even the first women who, who went to the tomb that early first Easter morning, they didn't go there because they thought, he's risen, we know it. Uh-uh. They went there with more spices just to spice up the body was what they did to make it smell better as it decayed. And so no one thought Jesus is coming back from the dead. But, there's the, but the disciples, they're a little bit different than they didn't believe, but something happened in their life. And I want to focus on John 
And, and as we focus on them, I want you to think about this. Some of you have testified in court cases. Some of you have been in those things. Some of your best testimony, if not the best, is eyewitness testimony in a court case. They're there and they saw it. John, one of the 11, along with the other, but John writes this in 1 John 1 and verse 1 and 2. This is one of the original 11 followers. One of them obviously died. That was Judas. But he writes this. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. Word of life means Jesus. And the life was manifested. And we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. Here's what John is saying. He's saying, yeah, I went into hiding. Yeah, I didn't believe he was going to rise from the dead. Yeah, we all thought it was over. But then something happened in my life. I saw and I heard and I experienced and I touched him. I saw Jesus I saw him crucified on that cross because John was there at the crucifixion. One of the most brutal ways you could kill a person in that day. And then I saw him. He was put in the tomb. And then I saw Jesus afterwards resurrected to life. And I saw the marks in his head. John is telling you and I, I saw it. I'm an eyewitness to the facts that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Now I want you to think about that in the whole event and the structure of the event because maybe you said, oh, come on, you know, that's just a Christian perspective. Well, let's think about it a little bit more logically. Let's say there were all one of these surviving 11 disciples. Every one of us is. And Jesus has been killed. And he's been put in the tomb. And there's a 2,000 pound stone in front of the tomb. There are 16 Roman soldiers guarding the tomb. But you and I, we come up with a plan. We're going to steal the body of Jesus. We're going to make it look like he rose from the dead. We're going to get through these trained soldiers, even though we're just fishermen. But we're going to get through them. And then we're going to roll that big stone. And if we, maybe if we tiptoe around them, they won't wake up as we're rolling a 2,000 pound stone. And we're going to roll it, and it would have to be uphill the way the groove was in there to get it out of the way. And when we do that, then we're going to take the body. And we're going to put everything back and tiptoe through the Roman soldiers again. And then we're going to go out and bury the body and proclaim to everyone that Jesus Christ is risen. Now, first of all, that sounds ridiculous. But that's one of the rumors there was that someone stole the, they, that the disciples stole the body of Jesus. But let's think now. Let's say you and I were those guys that stole the body. And when, now we go out and preach the gospel to people. And then we get arrested because, man, we're preaching things that people don't want to hear. And we get arrested, and they're going to kill us. They're gonna, we're going to die a martyr's death. As we're about to die, you've got a question to ask yourself. Would you die for a hoax that you perpetuated? Would you do that? Uh, maybe a couple of us would be crazy enough in this room to do that. But I think most of us would say, there's no way. I'd sit there and go, hey, I was, I was just joking, man. It was a lie. We all stole the body. Look, I got dirt on my hands still. Come on, man. I don't want to die for this. That's what we would do. But they went to their death. They died a martyr's death because they saw him resurrected. I'll give you another one. Jesus rose from the dead, supposedly, in Jerusalem. That's where the tomb was empty. If that happened, where's the last place? If it was a hoax, if it never happened, where's the last place you would ever, I would ever preach the good news that Jesus rose from the dead. Where's the last place you preach it? Jerusalem. Where's the first place they started preaching it? Jerusalem. Look, 
That just, not even logical if it didn't happen because people would say, come on, man, I'm from Jerusalem. You know it didn't happen. But they started right there. And why? Because they knew it did happen. I'll give you another one. In the gospel stories, there were women that go to the tomb that early first Easter morning. They're the first eyewitnesses to the fact that he rose from the dead. They come back and they testify to the disciples and everyone, Jesus is risen. Let me tell you why that's crazy right there. Because in our day, it makes sense. But in that day, first century, not biblical, but cultural, they would never have written that a woman's, that women are the first testifiers to seeing Jesus risen. Because in that day, in that culture, a woman's testimony in a courtroom was considered untrustworthy. And yet the Bible puts it clear as day in there that the women were the first ones to see and know that Jesus rose from the dead and they testified. You'd never do that in that day unless it were true because it would seem absurd at the time. So they're all saying it's true. But let me tell you the one that really gets me as far as if it's true or not. And it's found in 1 Corinthians. It's a New Testament scroll letter. In 1 Corinthians 15, this is written by a guy named Paul who once did not believe in Jesus hated Christians, his job was to murder Christians, and then he has an encounter with the risen Christ on a certain road, and he turns his life and puts his faith in Jesus, and everything turns around, and he writes about 14 New Testament letters, that's where we get a lot of New Testament, from this guy Paul, and he writes this, he says here, for I delivered to you as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. And he appeared to Cephas, who's Peter, then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to, say the name please, James. Then to all the apostles, and last of all, as one untimely born, meaning himself, he appeared to me also. For I am the least of the apostles, and I'm not fit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Let me tell you right now what's going on here. Why I consider this so important. This letter, what Paul writes, was written 25 years or so after the resurrection. Now somebody here is thinking, well, that's a long time. How can you consider it trustworthy? Well, let me, let me ask this question. From a historical perspective, do we know a lot about Alexander the Great? Yeah. We know that he was 33 years old, drank himself to death. We know he's the greatest uh, general of his time. He brought forth the, that phalanx the way they would fight. He invaded all the way and conquered all the way to India from Macedon, Macedonia, from Greek area right there. We know these things about him. He was tutored under Aristotle. We know all these things. But did you know that we know all these things, that the earliest writings about his life were not written, the ones we have were not written until 400 years after his death. And we consider that trustworthy. We have a document here that was written 25 years after the resurrection. Now let me tell you how I know this is valid. Not from Christian perspective. Let me tell you that atheist and skeptic New Testament scholars accept 1 Corinthians as an allowable, reliable letter. They do. 
They do. And the reason why they do, and they don't believe in Jesus, they don't believe in the resurrection, the reason why they accept it as allowable is because Paul was a scholar, they know he existed, they see the way he writes, they know from history there was a change in his life, and they accept it as allowable. They don't believe Jesus rose from the dead, but they accept this document as allowable. 25 years after the fact, and in that document, Paul writes that a man by the name of James, Jesus appears to James. You know who James is? He's Jesus' brother. James would write the New Testament letter of James. James would also become the leader of the church there in Jerusalem. He rides up. Now, now you know that James and the Gospels, he and the family one day went to go get Jesus because they thought their brother Jesus was insane? That's what, they, that's what it says. They thought he's crazy. They didn't believe in Jesus as Messiah. James didn't believe his brother was God in the flesh. What happened? What happened that turned him around? That he would write a New Testament letter, becomes the head of the church in Jerusalem. What, what changed him? He saw his brother. He saw his brother crucified. But more importantly, he saw his brother afterwards risen from the dead. I got a question for you out there. I ask this regularly here at church. What would it take for you to believe your brother is the Messiah God in the flesh? Right? No, he stole a quarter from me when we were six. He can't be that guy. Mm-mm. What would it take? It would take seeing your brother killed and risen from the dead. And that's what it would take. Otherwise, you would not believe these things here. James says the resurrection, the brother of Jesus says, it's true. Saw with my own eyes. It's true. Now, the second question, is it better? Is it better, you know, because don't all roads lead to God? Aren't all religions the same? Aren't, you know, it would be like saying, aren't all movies the same? Right? It's like saying like Dumbo and Shawshank Redemption are the same movie. Right? And they're not. Some of you say, yes, they are. No, no, really, they're not, okay? Okay? Now, neither are all religions. They're not the same at all. Now, how many of you, um, you like the outfit I'm wearing today? Thank you, thank you. Okay, they don't trust me to pick up my own clothes. I'm just being honest, man. I, I didn't pick this out. Because one day we're sitting in the office area and there's this young girl, Raina, she's part of our staff and she goes to school at Fitham, this design school in, in Hollywood. And she says, PJ, because that's what they call me around here because I think it's cool. But PJ, she goes, let me tell you what to wear on Easter Sunday. Let's pick out your outfit. First off, guys don't call it an outfit, okay? <laughs> call it clothing, all right? And say it like this. Let's pick out your clothing. Like, make it tough. She goes, you, you got to wear these, these beige-colored pants, get a light blue powdery shirt, and get white tennis shoes. And then the other young guys start jumping. Oh, yeah, and they go online looking up the clothing. I've been hijacked. And then so, all of a sudden, you know, Charlie, who was out earlier hosting, he, he goes and he shows me these, these pants online, and, and he says, look, you can get them cheaper online. When I hear the word cheaper, I perk up, okay? And he says, look, 21 bucks. I go, really? I go, let me see. And I never order pants online because, you know, they may not fit when I get them. But, you know, I, I get them, and my, I really like 21 bucks. So then I go and I go to Marshall's because they tell me. 
because they tell me you got to wear a powder blue shirt. Okay, Raina's telling me you got to go wear a powder blue shirt. I even got her phone number so I could take a picture of myself in case I didn't like it and text her and say, are you sure? But it all fit. And then the tennis shoes, they said, you got to wear white tennis. You got to wear these vans. You got to do that. So I, I did the whole thing. Let me tell you. When I saw the price, 21 bucks and fourteen ninety nine on the shirt, I go, that's better. Any amens on that? Right okay, that's better. When it comes to religion, they're not all the same. I want what's better. Religion say, I've got to do good works to reach God. Religion says, with each new life that I live in reincarnation, I'll get better and do better and eliminate the past. Religion says, I'm saved, whatever your concept of heaven is, after all that I can do, all the good works. That's when I'm saved. I have a question about that. How good is good enough? How good is good enough? I'll go my whole life and never get the answer to that question. I'm going to go to heaven because I'm good enough? Will somebody please tell me how good is good enough? There's no answer to that question. Can you imagine if you lived in your relationship, in your marriage, and your family, but let's take marriage, if you lived in the concept that I've got to be good for them to love me, I've got to be good for them to still love me, I've got, you know, where do I stand, where do I stand? Well, that would be brutal, right? Some of you know exactly what that feels like this morning. Don't you? Don't you? And you know it's filled with anxiety. And you know you wonder when's it going to end. Oh my gosh, did I make the eggs right? Where do I stand? Let me tell you, God is not like that. Because if God is like that, you're going to wonder all the time, how good is good enough? How good is good enough? Where do I stand? Where do I stand? How good is good enough? Let me tell you what's better. Jesus Christ came to earth because you and I weren't good enough. He's the good one that came to earth to die in our place. That's better. Because I can never be good enough. I mean, and religion says you got to be good enough. I can never be good enough. I've sinned at least 100,000 times in my life. Jim, you're a sinner. Like you're not, okay? <laughs> let, me, let, let me put it to you this way. You know, they, they've done this psychological survey. Psychology says this. 75% of atheists and skeptics, they are that way for a reason. It's an emotional reason, and emotions are strong. They say because something happened in their life where they say, why didn't God do fill in the blank? Why does God, if God is good, which he is, if God is good, why does he allow this to happen? This morning in Sri Lanka, you've already seen the news, right? The bombing at the church and at a mall. Two, over 200 people are killed. Why? If God is good, why does he allow that evil to, why doesn't God stomp out the evil? Where's God at? I got an answer to that question you may not like. We always say, why doesn't God stump out that evil out there? What about the evil in here? What about the ugly thoughts I think? What about the way I mistreated that person? What about me giving that finger to that person on the freeway? Right? What about me gossiping about so and so and so and so? What about the anger and the unforgiveness I hold in my heart? Let me tell you something about the question or the statement. Why doesn't God do something about that evil out there? If God did something about the evil out there, He'd have to do something about the evil right here. And that means He'd eliminate every human on the planet, including me. So Jesus says, I'm not going to do that because I'm love. I got a better plan. I'm going to come to earth 
And I'm going to walk holy. I'll, I will never sin. Though I will be tempted, but I'll never sin. Can you imagine a holy Jesus, God in the flesh, walking amongst all this evil? And he, and he walks through us all. And he says, all the evil around me, all the ugliness I see, I'm going to actually die for these people. I'm going to go to a cross. I'm going to carry their sins on my body. They're going to kill me. They're going to put me in a tomb. Three days later, I'm going to bust out of that tomb. I'm going to rise from the dead, offering new life. And it's my blood that I shed on the cross that if you put your faith in me, Jesus would say that you're standing before God is right. You never have to worry about how good is good enough. My way's better. It's better than all the other ways that say, you know, you got to be good. You got to be good. You got to be good. You can never be good enough. Jesus is true. His own brother, how could he possibly believe it unless he saw John says, I saw, I touched him, I felt. The eyewitnesses say it's true. He rose from the dead. But here's my question. If Christianity were true, to, were absolutely true, if you knew, would you become a Christian? And if you hesitated and said, ah, you don't want truth, you're not interested in truth, you just want to run your own life. It's a dangerous place to be. Because you don't know when you're going. Nobody does. I don't. You know what I tell my wife now? You may say, that's kind of crazy I go I tell her every day I go look at me look me in the eyes I said I love you and she tells me back I said because we're not guaranteed tomorrow anymore I want to make sure if something happens to us and we're apart we, that the last thing we ever said to each other was I love you and we looked each other right in the eyes some of your marriages need to do that huh every day because there's no guarantee for tomorrow Jesus comes and says I'm true and I'm better don't you get tired of it? Don't you get tired of wondering? Aren't you looking for someone to fill your life in a better way? When, aren't you looking for life change? Aren't you tired of trying to change life and you can't do it? I got tired of that. I chose a better way. And once I received the Holy Spirit in my life, Jesus, and then the changes begin through His power. I tell people to this, I said, look, even if you don't become a Christian, just live what that New Testament says and your life will be better because it's good stuff. But it's even better if you put your faith in Jesus Christ. What better day to do it than Easter Sunday morning? People have been praying for you. People have been talking to you. And Jesus wants you. And I'm going to give you an opportunity now to put your faith in that Jesus Christ. So I'm going to ask you to close your eyes right now.